0: On this episode of the podcast, we've got so much news, we're doing our best to make it palatable to you. And so, we crack open a summer six-pack. Sizzlin' baby, including breaking news on the Trump indictment for January 6th. It's all coming up. This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for Wednesday, July 19th. This is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you here in Austin, Texas. And it's a scorcher. Oh, baby, it is hot today. And it's hot, too. Shout out to Pootie Tang. We have a lot of news for you. This is the, the, the time in our political lunar calendar. When there is a lot of news, and instead of taking one of these stories and blowing them up to a big, uh, a big thing, because I I do think we're we're like just trying to deal with all this coming out of the shoot. So I got six of them for you, You a little six pack for the summer. We're theming things: Mike Pence, Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramashwamy, no labels. We've got some anti-Trump ads, which I would like to go over with you guys. And then, of course, our main event, the Donald Trump indictment. We'll get to my larger point with that a little bit later in the show. But just because it is breaking news, let me bring you up to speed on it. Donald Trump himself alerted the nation on Truth Social that he has been given a targeting letter and that he needs to get to a grand jury for the January 6th charges. And something that I still need more explanation on is that the same guy prosecuting him, for the documents case, Jack Smith, is prosecuting him for January 6th. I'm sure that this is definitely something that happens all the time and, and it's just odd that we have somebody like the President of the United States of America or the former President of the United States of America that's been charged. Obviously, we are in new territory here, but that's the news. I'll give you the political ramifications in a second. But first, let's go ahead and crack open our first summer six-pack story. Whoa! That isn't exactly the song of the summer. Doesn't get you ready to flash those pecs with your brand new beach bod. No, 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 no. It is the ominous strains of the campaign undertaker. And I have to tell you friends that I am putting one candidate on official campaign undertaker death watch. And his name is... Mike hence, We have official numbers. Last week, we went over some of the top lines of the rumored numbers that uh, people were talking about from the second quarter of 2023 for each and every campaign. They do have to file that stuff with the FEC. And now we have officials. Mike hence, raised an anemic million last quarter. That's not a bad number. It's an awful number. And I know a lot of people are going to say, well, you know, it's not just to Mike Pence and the campaign. It's also to the Super PAC. No, 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 no. If you are the former vice president of the United States of America, you got to raise more than $1.2 million in One quarter, especially your debut quarter. That's the quarter where you're supposed to show out, where you're supposed to convince every rich person that you have ever known in your entire life that if you've ever loved me in the past, you need to love me now so I don't get embarrassed by this first impression. I want to give you guys a little comparison. Political neophyte. Vivek Ramaswamy and we got more on him in a second who I might remind you was not a former governor was not a former vice president did not have a viral rant about how Mulan was going to ruin America Vivek Ramaswamy raised 7 million dollars in the first quarter now 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 no. I do have a caveat. Five million of that seven million was from one donor, Vivek Ramashwamy. So he gave himself a little bit of a gift, right? He's rich. Rich people are allowed to do that, especially if you're trying to self-finance your campaign. But that means that Vivek Ramashwamy raised $2.3 million not from himself. Now. You know, being from South Florida, I'm not exactly super, super, super well renowned for my math skills, but 2.3 million seems pretty dang close to double what Mike Pence raised. And then, there's the Family Leadership Summit in Des Moines last week. I'm going to play for you. Some audio from that confab where all of the presidential candidates were interviewed, if not (laughs) tortured, by Tucker Carlson. This is awkward. Mike Pence wasn't the only person for whom did not enjoy his experience up on stage with Tuck Tuck. But this stands out mostly because of the soundbite. Here's the clip.
1: ...support. Make no mistake about this. We promised them 33 Abrams tanks in January. I heard again two weeks ago in Ukraine. They still don't have them. We've been telling them we'll train their F-16 pilots, but now they're saying maybe January we'll let somebody transfer some jets. I'm sorry, Mr. Vice President. Have you... I know you're running for president. You are are distressed that the Ukrainians don't have enough American tanks Every city in the United States has become much worse over the past three years. Drive around. There's not one city that's gotten better in the United States, and it's visible. Our economy has degraded. The suicide rate has jumped. Public filth and disorder and crime have exponentially increased. And yet your concern is that the Ukrainians, a country most people can't find on a map, who've received... Tens of billions of U.S. tax dollars don't have enough tanks. I think it's a fair question to ask, like, where's the concern for the United States in that? Well, it's not my concern. Tucker, I've heard that routine from you before, but that's not
0: my concern. That's I'm running for President not Trump. my concern. That's not my concern. The only way that that's not my concern doesn't get thrown back in Mike Pence's face <laughs> is if he is so irrelevant in this race that nobody would even care to kick the man while he's down. That's a bad moment. And bad moments happen in campaigns. But it happened in a place where he can't afford for it to happen. Remember that there is no Mike Pence without evangelicals. Pence's wildest dreams for 2024 go a little something like this. He visits every county in Iowa. He graces every church in the state. He remembers the names of all the cats owned by all the Hawkeye State grandmas and by a miracle ordained by God himself. He ekes out a victory during the first caucus of the 2024 primary. And then... After that miracle, a miracle that's also been achieved by Ted Cruz, Mike Huckabee, and Rick Santorum, he does what those men could not. He actually gains momentum in New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada, and survives past Super Tuesday in contention. Even on paper, it is hard to fathom. But if he's not raising money, it's impossible. If you would please remember back to your scripture, Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, teaches us, do not boast in riches. And lo, Mike Pence isn't going to have to worry about that. (laughs) But he's also too big of a name to limp along. He's 64. He still does have more political life in him if he's smart. So, the question is Do you want to go in to Iowa, your only pathway to victory, and get your absolute head kicked in? Or is that too much of an embarrassment? Still six months away. There's plenty of time to turn and run away, brave Sir Robin. And that is why I am putting Mike Pence on official campaign undertaker, Death Watch. Something that I've thought a lot about recently, especially as we are in a particularly geriatric phase for America's opinion on who should be president, is what youth really matters to an electorate. Now, I know one thing in American history, youth plus success is electric. Oogie, oogie, oogie. But youth by itself is a resume builder. If you can demonstrate political competency while you are young, then the best you can usually hope for is a good job, kid. You want to know what? Get out there. Continue to grow. Build up your name recognition. You got plenty of time to take another bite at the apple. It's what I like to call the Buddha judge. Vivek Ramaswamy is a political newcomer. And I've written about him in my free political newsletter, which you can find at freepoliticalnewsletter.com. I'm writing again. As Donald Trump's silver surfer, the herald for Galactus, he shows up first before the big guy does. He makes sure that even if he's critical of the front runner, he's never really too critical. He's not doing anything that's going to truly offend. But right now, as a candidate in his own right, I have to say to Vivek Ramaswamy, you're punching way above your weight. It was only April 14th of this year that Vivek was below a single point in his real clear politics average. And currently, he's at 4.5. Not exactly a rocket to the moon, but what's notable is who's behind him. Everyone except Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, and Mike Pence. And let me tell you, the gap is closing between Vivek and Pence. But that means that former governors. Hutchinson, Haley, and Christie. That means that a sitting senator and Tim Scott are below him. So why has this happened? Well, Vivek has been relentless in his own media. He hosts his own podcast. He appears in every single event and podcast that he possibly can. Which brings me back to my thoughts about politicians. On a conceptual level, I wonder about how the role of politicians as austere demigods has held up. You know, people like Kennedy or or Reagan or Obama. Someone that America wants to see in front of Roman pillars giving a soaring speech that changes our mind. Part of me thinks that that was only possible because of a monoculture that doesn't exist anymore. And in our fractured media world, the only path forward is to constantly offer conversations similar in tune, but different in notes. Justify your spot on the stage. This meta not only doesn't value carefully worded sarconian speechification, it punishes it. What it rewards are take artists, the ones that can spin a clever point out of almost anything. And if it ain't clever, it's probably at least compelling. And Vivek is that. Vivek is young. Vivek is doing better than over a century's worth of political experience. And I have to wonder if it's because that experience. Is an anchor to anyone he's currently looking down on. Politics, politics. Reboot DeSantis, Ron, the De, De reboot, the reset. I don't know. I'm not really good at nicknames, but I might be about as good at nicknames as Ron DeSantis's first two months in this race have been. And lo, what we have seen is a new narrative. The narrative that Ron DeSantis 2024 is rebooting. What do we point to when we say that? Well, there's been a few people fired. And a lot of it comes as donors seem to be a little cheesed off. that. The campaign has a high burn rate. So a memo was released to friends and family. That's kind of code for donors and people around the campaign. And a lot of it is a bit of a this is fine memo. It's not really a signal for gigantic change. They highlight that based on their understanding of the race, the ballot is still fluid. That very rarely... Do voters make up their minds about exactly who they are going to vote for in the primaries and caucuses until closer to those events? And they very much rely on debate performance, something that has yet to happen. They further say that the GOP electorate is really only considering, by their polling, Trump and DeSantis. Tim Scott, they say, has a little bit of cachet, but he hasn't really been able to make much headway. Everybody else is flotsam. Blah, 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 blah. But two of the biggest questions of the Ron DeSantis campaign are addressed in this memo. Number one, in the future, will they go after Trump more? And number two, has it been a mistake to shun the media? On Trump, the answer is... Kind of, we read from the memo. Our campaign will make the contrast between Joe Biden and Ron DeSantis clear, but we won't avoid Trump's failings when asked. Our strategy? Questions asked, questions answered. And then on to how we will beat Joe Biden. While Trump is always the most efficient driver of his own negatives, there are numerous other persuasion narratives that can and should be exploited on him. Soft Trump voters and America First conservatives do not look kindly on Trump's record on guns, the deficit in spending, transgenderism, and his family's cozy relationship with the Saudi royal family. As for the media, their answer, if it was a mistake to shun mainstream media, is yes, and we're correcting it. Quote the memo, we will continue to present big, bold ideas that will get people talking in an effort to generate more earned media. I'm going to add editorially earned media is what they are talking about when it comes to mainstream media, they want mainstream media to talk about them. More earned media will result in increased standing on the ballot. We will aggressively pursue this formula in the next eight weeks as we understand that standing in the polls is directly tied to earned media. Pro-DeSantis surrogates uh, understand the importance to appear on every possible news segment. In the meantime, voters need to become fully aware of the governor's bio. While saturation in critical states like Iowa and South Carolina is critical, we see no reason why more expensive markets in New Hampshire should not also be prioritized. Earned media is the cake they write in bold, so you make sure that you pay attention to it. The paid media, early states, and national conservative cable is the icing and it keeps the messaging points from the earned media hits in the voters face. We are continuing to aggressively fundraise to ensure we can be competitive on both fronts. The DeSantis campaign has problems. Their second quarter was good. They raised over $20 million. That's more than Donald Trump raised when he first started running in 2016. But they might need to look at St. Patrick Ewing for his wise proverb about NBA players and their salaries. Quote, we make a lot of money, but we spend a lot of money. The burn rate for DeSantis is unsustainable, especially considering that that money took him 10 points lower in the polls. Much has been made in the press about firing 10 staffers, but it is important to point out that nobody in the top leadership has lost their job. And ultimately, the salvation of the DeSantis campaign lies in proving one of the charges against the campaign wrong. The more people see Ron DeSantis the less they like them. The DeSantis campaign is realizing something that I've struggled with my entire life. The rest of America just isn't Florida. In the Sunshine State, as a governor, citizens appreciated for his COVID stewardship, DeSantis could totally control the narrative and only give interviews to people he liked. He has been very upfront about the idea that mainstream media is dead and that non-traditional media that's fair in his words and friendly in mine is a better way to get his message out. The subtext being that the liberal media covers everything I do anyway. Why would I even need to sit down with them when they're going to freak out about everything that I do? I would add that part of the problem isn't just that he's not on these outlets. It's that he has allowed these outlets to pretty well define a lot of the things that are now eroding into some of his support. A reminder that part of DeSantis's idea on on winning the general election is that he's the candidate that suburban Republican leaners would be more into, the same Republican leaners that have turned their backs on Donald Trump in places like Georgia, Nevada, Arizona, and Michigan, all places that Trump lost in 2020. And DeSantis feels very comfortable going after anybody who seems to suggest that he has banned books, for example. That's something that, that the DeSantis people will will very, very quickly push back on you. We are not banning books. All we are doing is enforcing the law to flag what we believe is pornography. And they will show pictures and videos of books that they have targeted that, you know, have penises in them. And one of them has a spread butt. This is an argument they're very very excited to have, but if you don't go on these platforms and make that point there, then you can't really be upset when you feel like the narrative is hardened against you. All of this has led to charges that DeSantis's campaign is way too online and too scared to take hard questions. And so, Wednesday, Ron DeSantis' new strategy begins. This is DeSantis with Jake Tapper on CNN.
1: Let's talk about this sweeping new military policy you proposed, uh, that in your words uh, will rip the woke out of the military. The Pentagon response is that Army and Marines readiness is the best it's been in years, uh, and reenlistment in the Army is the best it's been in years. So their argument might be in response, what problem are you trying to solve? Well, why do we have the worst recruiting uh, that we've had since the Vietnam conflict? Uh, Why have great warriors being driven off, such as with the COVID-19 shot mandates? These were people that had been performing admirably. A lot of them had COVID. They had natural immunity. They were told, take this shot or leave. So I think you've had a big problem uh, with morale. You clearly have a problem with recruiting. And at this levels, everybody has acknowledged these recruiting levels are at a crisis. Why is that the case? I think it's because people see the military losing its way, not focusing on the mission and focusing on a lot of these other things, which, man, we see that in other aspects of society as well. People want to join the military, I think, because they think it's something different. And I think some of the civilian leaders in the military are trying to have the military mimic corporate America
0: academia. That's ultimately not going to work. It was a fine interview. I don't know if it was groundbreaking. It wasn't particularly combative with DeSantis and Tapper. I think DeSantis should do more of it. Makes sense. Although, in what might just quite simply be a metaphor for this entire race, you didn't actually see Ron DeSantis talking about anything that Ron DeSantis wanted to talk about until over 30 minutes into the program. Why? Why? because they were covering Donald Trump's indictment news, including a three-minute interview with an ex-Trump aide and the one clip of the interview where DeSantis was talking about Trump. By the way, that hit happened in the middle of the afternoon, something that before it even aired was mocked by the Trump campaign. Here is a statement from Jason Miller, Trump 2024 senior advisor. Some reboots were never going to be successful, like Dynasty, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, or even MacGyver. I'm going to add editorially, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I feel like has been consistently on television since I was a child, rebooted several times, but I don't know, whatever. Maybe Jason Miller's just not a turtle fan. My favorite was always Raphael. Probably says a little something about me. We continue with the Trump memo. We can now add Ron DeSantis' 2024 campaign to the list of failures. The real story here is that the DeSantis campaign doesn't know how to turn things around with their current candidate. Case in point, they don't actually want any Republican primary voters to see his CNN interview. DeSantis could have easily joined one of CNN's high profile primetime hosts and reached millions of new voters if he had simply had something compelling to say. But with an absolutely unlikable candidate, no campaign message, and rapidly sinking poll numbers, the campaign is doing an afternoon hit that no one will watch. That's a tactic, not a new strategy, and it's not going to change DeSantis's campaign nosedive. Obviously, That is a perspective from one side of the aisle. But there is something real to the idea that scared money don't make none. Either you are going to act like the front runner and you are going to act like every piece of online and television real estate is important and it belongs to you, or you're going to try to do some too perfect by half. Calculations and ultimately end up lesser for it. Our friend Kimberly Leonard, formerly of Insider, who's starting a new job at Politico this week, congratulations, Kimberly. Wondered on Twitter if Desantis's new media strategy might entail high-profile podcasts like Joe Rogan. I think that would be a good idea because you can't hide if you're the front runner, and one way to prove that you are not an absolute on-the-spectrum bore is to spend an hour with Joe Rogan. If people say that, you know, the episode was pretty good, then I do feel like that is a stamp of approval, at least for the kind of people that you want to vote for you. One more thing about that memo. It does spell out very defensively, as we read in... The one of the quotes, that New Hampshire will not be given up on. It happens a few times in the memo. Lo and behold, we did have some rare good news for DeSantis in New Hampshire. This is a a new UNH poll change from April. Trump at 37, leading, but down five points. Ron DeSantis at 23. Up one. And for the DeSantis campaign, any kind of positive traction is something that they are very, very, very excited to see, even if it's just six points in New Hampshire. Politics! Politics! You want to know what? This always happens. I get ahead of myself with these six packs. Next thing you know, I looked out and there's only two left. We're not even to the break yet, but let's barrel through. This is Joe Manchin and John Huntsman on Monday in New Hampshire.
1: You guys are not running for president, but why are you here in New Hampshire on what is essentially the campaign trail? Well, we're both members of No Labels from the beginning. We're, we're the joint uh, co-chairs, Democrat and Republican governors starting way back in 2010, 2011. And this whole thing has come about because the country's never been as divided as it is now. And we entered it back then when we really thought it was bad. It's got a lot worse now. And the country has to come together. And this uh, group of, uh, of ideas that we have as us have gone around the country and put together a common sense doctrine, It's how this country started way back in 1775, 76. And here we are today, still trying to get commonality. Do you prefer governor or ambassador? I prefer John. i'll go with uh i'll go with governor governor uh when we're talking about a potential presidential ticket bipartisan presidential ticket why should that conversation be in the mix a third party presidential ticket well probably because for the first time in recent history you have over 20 percent of the american people who via polling would suggest that none of the above would be acceptable if in fact we have a replay of 2020. uh so we are, in a sense, creating an insurance policy. So what No Label is, is doing, which is rather unprecedented, is getting ballot access in all 50 states. That's a tall order. I mean, that, I don't think it's ever been done before by an independent movement. So people say, well, you're running for this, you're running for that. We're not running for anything. Joe called, like he did 12 years ago when we came together to co-chair No Labels. And he said,
0: the common sense majority
1: has no voice.
0: It was there. They discussed their roles in the organization. No labels. They did this because no labels had themselves a little coming out party in the pivotal. Can't tell me how to think state of New Hampshire live free or die. After all, you're going to hear a lot about no labels going forward because Democrats are very, very mad about it. But this week was the first moment when the organization promised to put forth a presidential ticket. If, if, if they still have caveats. Who would be on a bipartisan presidential ticket that is looked at, as you heard from Manchin and Huntsman, as an insurance policy against what they view as a far too polarized decision between Trump and Biden? Well, Manchin's there and on stage during that. Entire event, he said that he would never be getting into a race to be a spoiler. If he were getting into the race, he would look to win. Then there's Huntsman, maybe Huntsman. He still seems tanned, ready, and rested, as they say. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan was on hand. And so was New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu. Although Sununu made sure that he said, very, very clearly, I'm just here because New Hampshire is a small state and I wanted to see some of my friends. I'm a Republican. He then repeated, I'm a Republican. No agenda did release, not no agenda. So, shout out to Dvorak and Curry. No labels released a agenda that featured 30 issues, including the federal budget, tightening border security, reducing health care costs, and improving education. I genuinely think if if what no labels wants to do is and this seems like it is throw a plugged in toaster into the hot tub where the republicans and democrats play fight each other for money they're going to need to have common sense solutions not just will do will do will do common sense solutions that either republicans or democrats can actually take and I'll say it now, I'll say it a million times going forward. I think abortion is one of them. I think if they came out at a, you know, I think what was it? 20 weeks, a, a 20 week federal abortion thing or, or a, You know, make that the baseline and then you could do more, whatever. Do something that's going to get people pissed off, but will control the conversation. Because if you're setting the agenda and now Democrats and Republicans who are terrified to justify their positions in very sensitive waters like abortion, then you will be the center of attention. And at a certain point, if you want to actually affect the polarizing elements of our modern political world, that's part of the way that you can do it. But you've got to be willing to hang your butt out because obviously the other two sides are not. Much more about no labels going forward because, God, if you're just looking at earned media, no labels lives rent-free in the Democratic Party's head. They hate no labels. And, you know, there's reason to if Joe Manchin does effectively abandon his post as a senator of West Virginia and tries his hand as a national candidate, because that definitely means that Jim Justice and Lady Dog are going to take that seat. But Then again, that might be fate accompli anyway. After the break, we get into it. Our final two topics, and they're both Donald John Trump. This is your update, brought to you by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Again, TakePoliticsSeriously.com is where you need to go if you want to get bonus podcasts of this very show. Guys, like I said, man, I- I'm-, I'm trying to cull and spin this news as fast as I possibly can. And there's stuff that gets left on the cutting room floor simply because of our release schedule. So... Don't be left out. Get breaking news as it happens. Just join up at the $3 level. Take politics seriously. House Republicans are planning a vote this week on a resolution denouncing anti Semitism and defending Israel, according to Axios. This is a direct response to comments from the Congressional Progressive Caucus Chair Pramila Jayapal over the weekend, who called Israel a racist state. The remarks have spurred condemnation from both Republicans and Democrats. And House Speaker Kevin McCarthy told reporters on Monday that Democratic leaders need to do something about such remarks from their members. The House will vote uh, on Tuesday, so this will already have happened by the time you listen to it, on a one-page resolution from Representative August Pfluger, declaring that Israel is not a racist or apartheid state. House Majority Leader Steve Scalise' office confirmed to Axios, the, re- the resolution also rejects all form of anti-Semitism and xenophobia and says that the U.S. will always be a staunch partner and supporter of Israel. Obviously, there are a few people that will not be voting for it. And part of it is uh, because of these comments. Well, I mean, it's because they don't like Israel. <laughs> like the, the the squad will not be voting for this. They will not be voting on it. They are protesting it because, well, they don't like Israel. They do think it's a racist and apartheid state. And by the way, this is Jayapal in his own and in her own words. I want you to know that we've been fighting to make it clear that Israel is a racist state. This was when she was on stage and uh, Palestinian protesters were disrupting her talk. So she said the thing to please the crowd. And now it turns out that words carry. Here's a possible international incident in progress. A U.S. soldier crossed into North Korea willfully and without authorization and was believed to be in the custody of North Korean forces, U.S. and international officials have said this week. U.S. Nations Command, which operates the Joint Security Area within the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea, first confirmed that an unidentified U.S. national had crossed the border. U.S. officials told CBS News that the soldier in question was Private Second Class Travis King, who had been released from military detention in South Korea and was being escorted out of the country for disciplinary reasons. After going through airport security to leave, he somehow returned and managed to join a border tour group before crossing into North Korea. Quote UN Command, a U.S. national on a JSA-oriented tour, crossed without authorization the military demarcation line into the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. We believe he is currently in DPRK custody and are working with KPA counterparts to resolve the incident. We'll see. Uh, It sounds like they're already throwing this kid under the bus because they wanted to get him the hell out of town. And now he has caused far more trouble. Also of note, North Korea launched an intercontinental missile over the weekend. So, a lot to talk about with Pyongyang. Finally, the Biden administration's second attempt at canceling large swaths of student debt will be aimed at helping, quote, borrowers who need it the most. According to a top education department official, James Cavall, the Undersecretary of Education, said Tuesday that the administration is moving as quickly as possible under the law to craft a new debt relief program in the wake of the Supreme Court's ruling last month, striking down President Joe Biden's initial plan to wipe out up to $20,000 of debt for tens of millions of borrowers. Quote, our goal is to provide debt relief to borrowers, particularly those working and middle class borrowers who need it the most. He added Far too many student loan borrowers have been left with debts that are unaffordable, unreasonable, and unacceptable. Despite the rhetoric, there were few details about the new push. And that's your update. TakePoliticsSeriously.com is where you need to go. $3 level gets you two bonus podcasts each and every week. If you were already a $3 Contributor to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. You already have one of them. Comes out Monday morning. It's the first podcast you can listen to on your way to work on Monday. A breezy trip through the Sunday talk shows. Find out what Washington wants you to believe. And then my take on it. All that is yours. TakePoliticsSeriously.com.
1: We know what's in your head, Donald. Now that Chris Christie has qualified, should you show up to the debate? Because if you do, your opponents will bring up the impeachments, the indictments, bring up how you lost to Joe Biden, lost the House, lost the Senate. They will remind everyone you didn't build that big, beautiful wall and not one peso from Mexico. That instead of balancing the budget, you increased it by six trillion that you never repealed obamacare because that's what they'll say if you show up especially that guy christy but if you don't go you'll be called a coward a chicken reduced to throwing spitballs from the sidelines so donald you need to decide are you a chicken or just a loser Tell It Like It Is PAC is responsible for the content of
0: this advertising. That is an ad from Chris Christie's Tell It Like It Is PAC, effectively challenging Donald Trump to get on the debate stage. Trump has been reticent to debate. Chris Christie's entire campaign is based on the idea that he really wants to debate Donald Trump. And I, I have this to say, Christie, and your pack, step up your language, call them names, call them names you know this this should not end. you should not be raising the money that you have raised, Chris Christie, if it's going to end without you calling Donald Trump a cuck. you should call him that. You should say things that turn heads. You should say things that Donald Trump himself won't say. Because let's be honest, you're doomed. Your best hope is to win New Hampshire. And, And by the way, in that latest New Hampshire poll, let me see if I can pull it up right here. It appears that Chris Christie is is polling less than Tim Scott and Doug Burgum. is at six. So he's tied with Burgum. Sorry, I apologize to Chris Christie. He's tied with Doug Burgum. He's one point ahead Nikki Haley. He's one point ahead Vivek Ramaswamy. By the way, Mike Pence at 1% in New Hampshire. Usually the evangelical candidates don't do really, really well. In New Hampshire. That seems like it's going to happen as well. So your only hope was to do well in New Hampshire. You need something that's an absolute game changer. Then just be a bully. Be a big Dr. Robotnik sized bully. Call him names. People love names. They love it when Trump does it why don't you I mean just and by the way, you don't have to do it, Chris. You don't have to do it. Can I call you Chris? I apologize. I was too friendly. You don't have to do it. Let your pack do it. Call him a cuck. I'm just saying, if if it happens, I, I won't even gloat. I'll gloat here on the show where only people that we know and trust listen to it. Because obviously somebody got it to you from here. But otherwise. That's free. Free use to you. Let's go to another anti-trumpet. This one is from Ron DeSantis' Never Back Down. Governor Kim Reynolds is a conservative champion. She signed the heartbeat bill and stands up for Iowans every day. So why is Donald Trump attacking her? I opened up the governor position for Kim Reynolds, and when she fell behind, I endorsed her. Did big rallies, and she won. Now she wants to remain neutral. I don't invite her to events. Trump should fight Democrats, not Republicans. What happened to Donald Trump? Never Back Down is responsible for the content of this advertising. Of technical note, Donald Trump never said those words. He wrote those words in a truth social post, but that is AI giving voice to Donald Trump's words. And it's very interesting to see how the ethics of stuff like that are played out. I think artistically, it's fair play here, but something to keep an eye on. I still really like the phrase, what happened to Donald Trump? I don't know if they're really making great use of it because pointing out that Donald Trump is mean to other Republicans is everything we've ever known about Donald Trump. It doesn't really show decline. To me, what happened to Donald Trump should always be anchored by an idea of a thing he said versus a thing he did or things that he is doing now that are out of context for the MAGA hero that people thought they were voting for in 2016. And then you can turn it and say, here's what happened to Donald Trump. Donald Trump had a lot of really, really great ideas. He is certainly an important figure in the world of Republican politics. But what happened is he hired the wrong people. What happened is he did not see what was coming at him. And fundamentally, that makes him incapable of achieving the goals that he has laid out. Even he, Donald Trump, is saying that, yeah, you know, now that I have a Ph.D. in Washington, I'll actually be able to do stuff. He's making your point for you. You should be hammering him for that—that he doesn't think like a lawyer. And guess what? When hordes of lawyers are descending upon you, you better not only think like a lawyer—you got to think better than the best legal minds on the Democratic side. But let me go back to this idea of Trump attacking Republicans. Can I please call for a moratorium? Please, for the love of Jesus. Can we never refer to Trump attacking Republicans as a negative and therefore an attack? So you're attacking Trump, a Republican for attacking Republicans. A, it doesn't make sense. And B, it just makes you look like a tiny little baby, just a baby. This is politics. This is absolute bare knuckle, multi-million dollar, twisted metal warfare. You don't put it out there and say, sweet tooth dinged my bumper. No. Attack him for things that actually hurt him. I don't care if, well, the polling says that uh, Iowa voters are not in love with him attacking the governor. Sure. Then talk about cool things the governor does. Talk about how much you're standing next to them. Don't point out. Egh, I don't know. I don't like it. All right. We got one more. One more here in our summer six pack. I'm already feeling a little, a little woozy, but I got it. I got it. I'm going to pull it together for you because this is the big news. I'm going to read here. Donald Trump's statement as posted on Truth Social and sent out via his listserv. Wow! On Sunday night, while I was with my family, having just arrived from the Turning Point event in Florida, where I won the straw poll against all, all other Republican candidates, with 85.7%, with all polls showing me leading the Republican primary by a substantial numbers, almost everyone predicting that I will be the Republican nominee for president, and as I am leading Democrat Joe Biden in the polls by a lot, Horrifying news for our country was given to me by my attorneys. Deranged Jack Smith, the prosecutor with Joe Biden's DOJ, sent a letter. Again, it was Sunday night. Stating that I am the target of the January 6th grand jury investigation, giving me a very short four days to report to the grand jury, which almost always means an arrest, and indictment. So now. Joe Biden's attorney general, Merrick Garland, who I turned down for the United States Supreme court in retrospect, based on his corrupt and unethical actions was a very wise decision. I'm going to pause here. Editorially. I think Merrick Gar- Garland was already out of the picture by the time that Trump got in. He was, he was Obama's pick anyway, together with Joe Biden's department of injustice, have effectively issued a third indictment and arrest of Joe Biden's number one political opponent, who is largely dominating him in the race for the presidency. Nothing like this has ever happened in our country before, or even close. They illegally spied on my campaign, attacked me with a totally fake dossier that was funded by Hillary Clinton's campaign and the DNC, impeached me twice, I won. They failed on the Mueller witch hunt, no collusion. They failed on Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, the 51 intelligence That's in quotes, agents, fraud, the FBI, Twitter files, the DOJ, Facebook censorship and every other scam imaginable. But on top of that, they have now effectively indicted me three times. The DOJ staffs and runs the DA's office in Manhattan with a probable fourth coming from Atlanta, where the DOJ are in strict and possibly illegal coordination with the district attorney, whose record on murder and other violent crime is abysmal. All caps. This witch hunt is about election interference and a complete and total political weaponization of law enforcement. It is a very sad dark period for our nation. We don't know what the charges are going to be with this January 6th investigation. The reporting seems to suggest that it is more about the overturning than it is about the riot. Everybody element that I have read about that is, you know, I think it's going to be tough to prove because you got to draw a line between free speech and freedom to poke the system with a attempt to subvert it. And while everybody can have very strong opinions, what is provable in a court of law is different than opinions. But I want to look at this from a purely political perspective. Because that's what you guys trust me to do. Separate the other element. And let's talk purely politics. Donald Trump's lowest real clear politics average took place in March. It was at 43%. By the time that he was indicted in New York... On April 3rd, his real clear politics average was at 49%. By the time that he was indicted for the second time in Florida on June 13th, he was at near 53%, which is where he has just about stayed with a little fluctuation, edging toward 54% ever since. There is no doubt that, at least for the Republican electorate, the case has not been made by the Department of Justice or the New York District Attorney that these are disqualifying for Donald Trump. What has held and has been absolute rocket fuel for Donald Trump, is what Donald Trump's message is. That this is a weaponized Department of Justice and that they are persecuting a political opponent of a corrupt president. This is part of the reason why usually the Department of Justice exercises caution in bringing cases during political campaigns. Because when viewed through a myopic and binary light, you often get opinions like this. From my perspective, as a guy who is only counting balls and strikes, if I were working for the Donald Trump 2024 campaign, I would want this third indictment. I'd want a fourth. And I would ask very, very politely if we could get a fifth and sixth. Because I think by the sixth, I could get up to 80% of the Republican electorate. I could convince everybody that this is a once in a generation moment to stand up and be heard unless you are willfully acquiescing to a one. Party America. That's the message that I would put out there if I were Trump. And it seems to be the message that is being heard by the voters or at least those being polled in this primary. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, politics, politics written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for dog and pony show audio in Austin, Texas. You can email me theyoungamerican at gmail.com. You can find the show on Twitter, PX three tweets. You can find me on Twitter, Justin R. Young. I am live on Twitch. PX three live.com. My newsletter my newsletter, I write a newsletter again, px3newsletter.com. And you can find this podcast, px3podcast.com, wherever you want. I mean, on the internet, mostly, not like at a 7-Eleven. If you enjoyed this show and you would like to give me a one-time donation, it is paypal.me slash on Venmo, it is justin-young-20. Cash app is px3cash, and you can send anything you'd like to me in the mail physically. P.O. Box, 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, you can always get our bonus content at takepoliticsseriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule. And our $10 tier gets your name right at the end of the show like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Jason Andres, Matt John Gross, C Garcia, Matthew T Albasso, John Craig Potts, MC Radio, Bugs Life, Kneemeister, Unsafe DB Level, Amanda Yeo, Pinball Shop, DP4 Bongo, Catherine Todd, and Vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Edison, up up down down left right left right B A Select Start. Doctor G, Neil, Charles, Darren, Hundred Mile Runner, Idris Arslanian, Blue Front, and the Lenina, D L Stephen Chad. Nomadic Terran, Molly's dashing debut, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul is awesome. Brad, Richard, just another pilot. Middle aged Mike, who loves Frank, got abducted. Utah, Jimmy Montana, the gel. <laughs> the gel. The gen. A, L, D, L, D, L, D. Really? Chopper, Andrew, and Joshua, you want your name right on this show. There's only one place to do it. Take politics seriously. We'll be back on Friday. Till then, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that has the gumption to talk about oh three.